a FAM production for all things mattress. FAM.news. Welcome to Just Stories with BT, a show that brings you remarkable stories of success, comedy, failure, and redemption directly from the people who've shaped the landscape of our professional worlds. You'll laugh, you might cry, but most importantly, you'll be motivated to keep pushing to become a better version of you. Just Stories skips the cheesy 10-step processes and long acronyms and gives you just what you want. Stories that truly matter and will impact your life. Meet your host, Brett Thornton, a father, retailer, speaker, motivator, and lover of storytelling. Your transformational listening starts now. What is going on, everybody? Welcome to Just Stories with BT, a podcast that utilizes storytelling to allow us to get to know CEOs and super successful people, um, who they are behind the job or behind the Giving Back campaign. And we have a very exciting guest today because if it wasn't for this guest, I would not be doing this podcast today. I can guarantee you that. So this first eight-part series is called Recycled Dreams. And the reason that I did this is because I wanted to have and highlight CEOs who have utilized giving back as a main part of their business strategy so that A, it can motivate you all out there on to do it if you're not, but B, also give you some insights maybe on how to do it, why it works, why it's important. And so today's guest is Dale Carlson, who I used to work with for a long time. So welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Excited to be here. Yes, I, I can guarantee you I'm more excited than you are. Because we haven't had a chance to catch up in a long time. And, you know, like I said, this is an eight-part series. So there's eight different CEOs, and you are actually number eight. And so this is just really exciting for me. Uh, and, and, I, and, I, and a lot of people out there are going to know you, right? They'll know the legacy of Dale, um, but there will be a lot of people who don't. And so generally with podcasts, you know, there's an introduction period. And so usually, you know, the host will say, hey, you know, tell me about yourself. And then that can be like this really long rant. But we want to get to the, the nuts and bolts of your story. So I can't afford the risk that you're just going to go on and on, right? So <laughs> what I'm going to do is I'm going to intro you for you, okay? So Sounds think great. about this. You've seen Ace Ventura, obviously. Yes. Yeah, so there's a scene in there where he goes looking for Ray Finkel. And he goes to their house. It's like one of my favorite scenes. And he pulls up and he said, I'm looking for Ray Finkel. And then the guy pulls out this shotgun, you know, the dad or whatever. <laughs> And he's like, and a clean pair of shorts, you know? And then he goes, what do you know about Ray Finkel? And, uh, and then he goes, and he gives his whole history real fast. So that's what I'm going to do for you. Are All you right. Go. Okay, everybody. So here's Dale in 60 seconds. All right. Dale was born in Walnut Creek. Uh, he grew up there and also in Marine County. Uh, he grew up skiing, both water skiing, snow skiing, and he was into airplanes. In fact, got his, his airplane license to fly when he was 17, which is a whole nother story. Uh, his first job was at M&G Hamburger Shack. Uh, just like Kanye says, you know, started with Moppin. Next week it was the fries. And then, of course, the shakes and the burgers. Um, he was, when he was 17 in high school, he graduated early, a semester early. And so while all of us were still out trying to finish high school, he was already at Sac State doing a semester, um, getting ahead while he was en route to Cal Berkeley. But fell in love with Sac State. And so he ended up staying there for all of his years, which thank, I'm sure Sac State's very thankful to that. Um, in 1982, while he was going to school, he started working for California Mattress. That's where he got a little little bit into the mattress industry. Um, but he was studying to, to go into real estate. And that's what he wanted to do. That's what he was studying. That's what he got his degree in in 1984. But when he finished school, um, he had a choice, which was go to the bottom rung in real estate, pay your dues, make no money, 
Um, or the guy that owned California Mattress said, hey, you could come work for me as a sales rep. Uh, you can make a good salary and I will give you a sports car to drive around in, which for anyone just getting out of school who's young and single, that sounded a little bit better. So he gets into that, takes the job, gets into the mattress, into the mattress business. Um, but as he's cruising around, he realizes nobody is doing this right. At the time, everyone still had plastic wrapping around their mattresses. No one's allowing customers to lay on them. So Dale thought to himself, I could do this better. And in 1985, opens up the first sleep train store up in Sacramento. Um, that ended up obviously becoming a massive thing, grossed over 300 stores. During that time in 1991, he got married to his wonderful wife, ended up having two kids in 95 and 98. Um, and as the company grew, so did Dale's heart on giving back. So he started getting involved in charity, especially with foster kids. And in 2008, launched Ticket to Dream Foundation that, that helps support foster children. Um, and then as the company continued to grow, so did the interest from other companies. And in 2014, mattress firm acquired Sleep Train, which was a big deal. Dale made a couple dollars. I'll let you look it up on your own. Um, and then that allowed Dale in 2015 to go full time as the CEO of Ticket to Dream and focus on foster kids where we are today. That's impressive, Brett. Great job. What, 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 what was the big things I missed? I had to miss something. No, you, no, you got it all, I think. That, that, that got all the highlights. That's awesome. Great job. Impressive. Awesome. All right. So now we know a little bit about you, just the, the super basics. But I want to, before I allow you to tell any stories and I go into some questions, I do want to like, one of my favorite stories is that I want the listeners, listeners to understand out there is that tell the story of when you started sleep train and how it all worked with your dad and your mom leaving and all that. It's one of my favorite stories. <laughs> well, you know, I was, I was a uh, mattress salesman on the road and um, sales manager actually of the company at that time and um, just saw an opportunity and so I talked to my dad said hey I, I think I want to open a mattress store and he goes you're crazy that's not possible you, you know no you didn't go to school to open a mattress store you know do your real estate thing that you want to do you know continue doing the mattress thing with there maybe you can get some ownership there but no you're not opening a mattress store my mom on the other hand said you know you can't make a living how many how many beds does somebody buy you know, how can you make a living selling mattresses? Well, unfortunately for me, my, my dad and um, stepmom uh, took their first trip out of the country. They got a, they won a prize and um, on the radio actually, and went to London for uh, two weeks. And in that two week period is when I bought a truck, leased some space and quit my job and decided I'm, I'm doing it no matter what. Came home and my dad was, wasn't happy with my decision, but said, you know, you're on your own, but uh, I'll give you one piece of advice. And that's if you want to be successful, surround yourself with good people, treat them right and make everybody successful. And that's really what happened. As you know, I got great yeah. people like you that I got to work with and enjoy and, and grow the company. So it took off from there. Well, it didn't take off from there. It took a long time, but then it took off. <laughs> oh, I love that. So, so, and actually I want to backtrack to real quick too. So, and I, cause I didn't know this. You know, how did you how did you get your pilot license at 17? How's that even possible? Well, my dad um, lived on the air park up in Cameron Park outside of Sacramento. So he actually had a Cessna 172 and he would fly to his clients. He was a CPA and he would fly down to the Bay Area to see some of his clients. And he told me that if I paid the gas, paid the oil and paid for the instructor, that I could use his plane to, to learn how to fly. So. I paid my way for the, um, the, the instruction and the gas and the oil and uh, got my got my driver's my, my flight fires pilot's license. And, you know, it's just kind of a cool thing to have when you're 17. You know, it's a great way to go on a date. Hey, you want to <laughs> just buzz down to Monterey and have dinner? 
<laughs> that is next level. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, I was kind of similar. I was driving uh, my mom's minivan, you know, trying to pick up girls. So yeah, they're very similar there, you know. Yeah, I, you had the same option. Ray or or uh, pick up the minivan. So, uh, so Dale, we, I really want to get later into the purpose of this, which is 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 having episodes geared around giving back, right? And obviously. That was a big part of Sleep Train, you know, prior to you ever launching Ticket to Dream and then launching it and having both companies at once and now doing it full time. Um, but before we get into that, you know, I want the listeners to be able to get to know you a little bit. Uh, and in the way that I tend to learn in my my favorite form of kind of taking in information and, and, and getting to know someone well is through stories. And that's why I love just asking people to tell different stories. And so you know, one thing I always like to start off with before I ask you serious questions and serious stories is just something, as you think back in your career, you know, what funny memory or entertaining memory can you think of? You know, it could be anytime, sleep train, ticket to dream. Is there anything that sticks out to you that is just a great story you love to tell? Oh, yeah, Brad. I mean, so many great stories with, uh, you know, I was very blessed to have great people to work with at sleep train. Um, and so the activities we did and the fun we had was, was, really inspirational to me to be surrounded by such great people. Um, you know, lots of, lots of good activities. As you know, we had our president's club, which is over in Maui. That was, that was always a spectacular event. Got to see, see, see the, our, our team relax with their spouse, get to know them, get to know who they were, what they're about, what they're, what drives them and so forth. So that was, that was always just a, a, a joy for me to be able to, sit down with with someone and get to know their wife get to know the kids get to know the family what do they do what do they like watch them for the first time see a whale you know and uh, reach right in front of you and just you know seeing seeing one of our warehouse guys this big huge dude just almost cried because he's seen a whale jump in front of him it's just you know some of my best memories were on um, on that trip and on all of our our activities the picnics going to the picnics that we would have and bringing watching the kids grow up, you know, from, because we, for so many years, you know, they bring them as babies in the thing to, they bring them to the teenagers to they're finally adults at the, at these picnics. It was, it was just great to see the family grow. Yeah. Yeah. I remember, you know, one of the things that always sticks out to me about um, those, the company picnics and the, in the, in the events and whatever was, and, and I want to ask you about this too, is that, you know, there was always corporate representation in everything we did. So either Dale was there, different, you know, CFO, you know, executive VPs, you know, why, why did you make it such a priority to always send kind of the top executives to all these events? Well, in, in my opinion, you know, all year long, our, our team, our employees worked, worked hard to make our business successful. And these events were meant to honor them. And the way you honor them is by giving your time and your, your heart. And so to me, you know, with my team, it was, okay, look, this is your time to get to know our team. This is your time to be with them, to understand. And I felt it was just very important that we had that direct connection. And I think that's what helped grew, grow the, um, the culture that we had at, at Sleep Team because it was, you know, we put pants on one leg at a time like everybody else, executives do. But so often the executives feel they're in a, a higher place and they, don't, they, can't, they can't take the time to mingle with those that are actually doing the work. To me, the people doing the work are the people you need to spend time with. And I, I thought that it was a very valuable way to, to grow a culture. Yeah. Yeah. One of my, when I think of like just great memories, I, mean, I have a million too, you know, I was there for 
a long time, yeah. 14 years. And um, but can you tell the story of the announcement when you got when you announced that we were we were becoming an ESOP? Uh, that was a that's one of my my favorite all time things. I still get goosebumps thinking about it now. Um, for those of your listeners that don't know, an ESOP is an employee stock ownership plan. And my wife and I had um, had really looked at the great employees we had and said, how can we give back to them? How can we help um, them succeed? Because if you, if you remember my dad's quote was, surround yourself with good people. I had done that. Treat them well. We did. And make everybody successful. Well, to make everybody successful was how can we really make that happen? And so my wife and I looked and said, well, give them part of the company that they're building. So we gave them um, 25% of the company to build the ESOP, but they didn't know that was coming. Yeah. Now there had been, the company had grown at that time pretty substantially. And there was constant rumors throughout the company. Is he selling? Is he selling? Uh, I hope he doesn't sell, you know, and so forth. So we had our annual um, management uh, leadership retreat. Uh, probably what we had, probably have then about 300, 300 plus people, I think at that, uh, 350 people at that uh, retreat. So everybody's out there. And I always started out the retreat by getting up and giving a little, you know, state of the union and, I got up and um, as um, you know, well, um, I'm kind of an emotional guy. Um, so it's kind of hard for me to hold it. And I, so I kind of stuttered a little bit and said, um, okay, I've got something really important to share with you all. Something that, you know, I've had to think long and hard about something that's, you know, will impact everybody. And, you know, as you know, that we've grown the company up and, you know, I've told you I would not sell this company to, unless I could find someone that could treat treat you right, treat the community right, treat their employees right, treat our customers right. And I, you know, I, I found somebody. And then you could see the hush. And the, there were actual, I was watching from the stage, there was anger in people. Yeah. You could see them starting to get mad. Oh, he's going to sell. Oh, I'm, oh, I can't believe he's going to sell. And there's people crying. There are people just shocked. Yeah. And I go, you know, but, you know, let me, let me tell you, I've, I've really looked for the right person to do this, the right people to, to sell this company to. And so we, they couldn't be here. They couldn't all be here today, but they did send you something to, to kind of get you to know who they are. So there's a box on your table. If you could just take your box and, and open it, you will see and understand who the new owners of this company is going to be. And they opened the box and there was a mirror that facing back at them. Yeah. And they, they looked and, you know, you had, it was just like, what have, why is this, what, what do you mean? And then I said, that's right. We're, we're selling the company to you, the employees. We're going to give you 25% of the company. You don't have to pay for anything. Just the work you're doing will earn your way to get 25% of the company. And the end that transferred, uh, that translated out to be $117 million transferred to yeah. our employees. So it was such a great day. It was such a great day. <laughs> so, so my story of that day is a little different. Um, yeah, so my, my, the way this all happened for me was, was different. So the week before that announcement, the, the week before, I guess two weeks before the, the manager retreat, um, we had won a prize from Simmons and Simmons said that they were going to host uh, a ski trip up to Big Bear in Southern, in the Southern California mountains. And so I remember I was working with Scott Higgins at the time and, and he said, Hey man, you know, like one of us has to go and be like the you know, in case someone gets hurt or something. So we got some, one of us has to go. There's 30 people from our team going, you know, so I'm like, I'll go. Cause I love to snowboard or whatever. And, um, so I was there to make sure no one got hurt and everything was good, but that's when I shattered my, my collarbone and my shoulder. Oh, that's right. So up on the mountain. And uh, I mean, I had to get, you know, put in the big thing and ski down. It was a whole ordeal. I have a big, still have a big 
metal plate, eight screws, all that's still in there. Um, but so yeah, I was, I just came out of surgery a couple of days before the retreat. So I wasn't there. I was at home. And so Anderson, my boss at the time, Matt Anderson, our very close friend, he had sent me the package and said, dude, whatever you do, you cannot open this. And then he, he had figured out a way to video, video me in live, I think on Skype. Yeah. So he was holding his like phone, Skyping as you were saying it. And I was holding this thing. So that's how, you know, so this is a funny way. <laughs> that's how I uh, experienced it. And then found out about the ESOP, you know, just through this little phone and I was all sitting there. Just, I literally just came out of surgery. So I, I forgot, I forgot that story, but yeah, that was yeah. awesome. That's awesome. But well, it was great. yeah. For, for any companies out there listening, anybody in ESOP is such an amazing thing to do if you have the opportunity, right? I mean, I cannot stress enough the mentality switch that happened. You know, I mean, it was, you know, your, every salesperson, person to wear, it didn't matter who you were, you know, you did everything you could to make sure that we saved every dollar, you know, because every dollar we saved went to the ESOP, you know, every right. extra mile you went, it just went to furthering for everybody. You know, it was like, you would print paper and then be like, if you saw someone throw it away, be like, whoa, you could have flipped that over. You could have used the other <laughs> side. You know what I mean? It was just because right, we're an ESOP, you know? And, uh, but it was the part I love about it. And I know you hate talking about things like this, but the reality is you set it up in a way to sell it at a low valuation for you so that we make more money. Well, that's what my wife and I talked about it because we had our, all of our uh, advisors, you know, were saying, this is not the time to do it because, you know, this is, we, we did this in 2010. So this is after the recession and, you know, we were at our lowest value. And, you know, I said, but you don't understand. I want everybody to win in this growth. And it, it proved out to be the best thing to do because that, that ownership mentality, as you just described, there is nothing like ownership mentality. Um, of, of if you're an owner, you just do things differently. And so to get that and to get that out of all of our employees, what it translated to do was from that the valuation when we started to when we sold, we increased the value 800%. So I gave away 25%, we increased the company 800%. I think it was a win-win for everyone. And, and yeah. you know, the stories, you talk about stories, one of, one of my ones that of, of the value of the ESOP was I had, uh, you know, we have a place out on the North Coast, you know, and um, we were having a delivery and this is years after I, um, you know, I'd already sold and it was gone. And one of the delivery guys uh, came out and delivered the, um, a bed to me um, and he was leaving, he left, he went to the truck and he, he came back and goes, you know, Dale, I just got to tell you how you changed my life. Said, you know, he was a delivery guy and he said, my mom's house lives in Mexico. My mom's house fell down and she had no home. I was able to buy her a house because of the ESOP. Wow. You allowed me to have me buy my mom a house. So, and I've, I've heard story after story after story of, of just people that say, you don't understand what a difference that made to me in my life. And so to me, that's where you get great joy, right? When you understand that you've helped somebody else have a better life or do something that they really wanted to do. So um, it's, it's, uh, the ESOP is so valuable and I highly encourage anybody to look into it. It's, it's, it's a lot of work yeah. and you've got to have a great team to, to do it, but um, it is well worth it because that ownership mentality and the ability to have everybody win yeah. is a great, great, great thing to do. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to sh shift gears a little bit. You know, one of the things that I love to ask you know, CEOs, people that have had businesses, 
you know, I like to ask about a time when you failed, right? Like, or a time when, you know, you were in a dark place or it was not looking good, you know, and, and if you can think of a time or a story throughout your career that was, you know, you would look back at, wow, that was a really tough time. And then explain, you know, kind of how you got through it. I'd love to hear it. Well, you know, you go through a lot of those so then <laughs> through the years. And, um, you know, what I would have to say, just looking at these times, if uh, the recession was probably um, the biggest challenge that I had. And I, you know, I, I was always optimistic that I could make this work. You know, my, my old boss used to say, I'm, a, I'm like a dog with a sock. If I can't make it work this way, I go that way. And I just, that's my attitude. I'm going to make it work one way or another. Mm-hmm. But we, uh, we talked about the management retreats that we had and the leadership retreats. I so distinctly remember the one in January after the crash. And what is that, 2007, I guess it was, 2008 of January, I guess. Um, um, you know, everybody was canceling uh, these management retreats, leadership retreats. You couldn't, do, everybody was canceling those all across the country. You know, everything was down. Our team came together and said, you know, if there's ever a time to be in front of your, your, your team, it's now. They're scared. They're they're confused. They're lost. They don't. Their families are scared. Now is the time we need to be in front of them to to talk to them. So we agreed to go ahead, even though it's going to cost uh, you know several hundred thousand dollars to to do this at a time when you know money was very scary. Yeah. We said this is the time to do this. And remember that I had built the company where we had built the company without any any uh, debt. We had never taken out a bank loan until we bought Sleep Country in 2005. So now all of a sudden I have a huge debt, which I never had before to deal with. And we have the economy crashing all around us. So I just so distinctly remember right before going on stage for that opening of of that retreat, I have never been so scared and so unsure of myself as I was that moment. I just look back at that time just going, I don't know if I can do this. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how to lead out of this. I don't know what, what, if we can make it through and you know, yet I've got to get up and stand in front of all these people and tell them we're going to make it through. But I walked up on that stage, Brett, and I looked out at the people that I was so blessed to be surrounded about. And I saw their energy. I saw their, their, their drive to, to do whatever they needed to do. And so I, it was them. It was the power of the team that was looking back at me. that gave me the power to get through that point. Mm-hmm. It was not me leading them. They actually led me at that point. Cause I could see, I said, okay, here's where we're at. This is the situation. We can get through this. We have challenges. We have a bank loan. We have this. If, uh, you know, during that time, you know, Rob Kilgore, who was our right now guy, he, he did his first presentation of what, later on became Robinomics. Yeah. And that was basically dumbing down the economics to a level that everybody could understand. Here's what is happening. Here's why it's happening. So people could go home and understand what happened to our economy. Yeah. I mean, that, you know, and so, and from there, and we looked at everybody and said, we need your help. This, we can't do this without you. And that's when we started getting all the ideas of the solution, how to cut costs, how to, how to improve sales, what to do, what we could do. And we just, it was the power of our team the power of, of everybody working together that got us through. But that, that I just so distinctly remember just being more scared than I've ever been in my life before walking on that stage of not knowing how to get through that. But 
I had great people and we obviously did well. So yeah. No, absolutely. What I what I remember distinctly about that that retreat, um, you know, and it's funny because I love to hear that you're, you know, your side of it. Hey, you're coming out, you're terrified, <laughs> you know. But one thing that you guys did, um, and I don't know if you remember this, but you guys launched this contest where you gave everybody in the company money to go do like create an idea or do something that, that would drive more business. And then the person, whoever drove the most or got voted the most was going to win like a thousand bucks. And, um, and I remember, so at the time, I think I was like, you know, running SoCal training or something like that. And that's when I got all the trainers together and we pulled our money and we hired my brother-in-law to make those DVDs, those sales DVDs. And we produced these like role play sales DVDs and sent them to every store in the company. And uh, it actually ended up being awesome. And, and I remember we won. So everyone got to split yeah. the money and they, they were all excited. But, but what I love about that is that it was like this idea that you implanted to everyone, which was like, let's be on the offense. You know, let's, let's, we can't just sit back and let the economy take us down or like, let us just shut us down. It's like, no, okay, no, let's have the event. Let's bring everyone in. Let's inspire confidence that, hey, no matter what, we can do it. It's going to be hard. And then more than that, hey, go out there and think about what what aren't we what are we missing? What are, what are we thinking about? And there was a lot of good ideas and a lot of things that came out of it, you know. Um, oh, yeah, but I yeah. love that. I just remember coming out of there. That was like a takeaway in our team. Was like we're gonna we're gonna win this. We'll figure it out, you know. Well, that's a uh, that's great. I do remember the DVDs. Those are great, Brad. <laughs> oh, we actually we recently. I don't know if you remember David Arika. He was one of my trainers, but yeah. he found his DVD and so he sent a text out to like all of the crew now. And here it is, you know, whatever. 12 years later or something and we were watching it. Oh God. It's, it's pretty comical. It is pretty I'll tell you the worst part of the ties that, that we used to wear. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. But the, you know, once again, that just underscores the power of letting your team do what they need to do, yeah. you know, and not, not trying to direct them, but let that, that creativity, that excitement come, come forward. Yeah. So I want to transition a bit, you know, and, and tell us, what how did you get started in you know giving back and starting to work with foster kids like before ticket your dream started like how, how did it even come about well one i got to give credit to my parents I, I mean i was raised that you got to give back you know i my grandmother um quite frankly she was she was a very philanthropic person i mean she always always doing something my dad was in rotary and you know they were always doing events and doing things and raising money and so forth so i kind of saw that growing up um but I, when I started the company, I go, okay, well, what is my thing? What am I going to do? What can I do? And I had always had a passion for kids. Kids are always, um, to me, it's so important. And so, and, as a matter of fact, my wife, Katie, as you know, she's a pediatrician. And our very first conversation was about kids when we first met. I mean, who has their first conversation with a girl about kids and having kids and, and so forth? So, but, hey, it worked out. We've been married almost yeah. 30 years. So, um, but... Uh, you know, when I was at Sac State, I had done a research project on a group home. And I, I looked at that and I said, okay, well, these foster kids and these actually at that point, it was just the, the greater population of at-risk kids. At-risk kids, you know, they, they don't have some of the things they need. And I looked, I said, I had no money, right? Because I, I started this thing on a, a shoestring. You know, I, I, had a, I had bought a house when I was in college. Right. And so I, uh, um, I was able to buy this through a divorce sale and I had a, um, two roommates paying $250 a month in rent and my mortgage taxes and insurance, everything was $599. <laughs> so, uh, you know, 
So I had $99 worth of uh, my, my overhead of the house because oh. I had everybody else paying the, the rest. But I, I took out a household finance loan to start the company at a $5,000 loan when I started the company at 22.95% interest. Oh. Try paying that loan back. That's difficult. But anyway, so needless to say, I have no cash, right? I have no money because everything I have is going to pay off this loan. <laughs> um, but what I had was access to mattresses and mattresses. And I had looked at what these kids were sleeping on and they were sleeping on the banana beds, you know, the, the big uh, sagging beds or no bed at all in some cases. Yeah. And so I started with our mattresses for kids program and said, okay, that's going to be our focus. We're going to do mattresses for kids. And I went to Simmons and I went to Sealy and I said, Hey, will you guys help me? You know, what I, what I'd like to do is, you know, we had at that time, I think I'd opened my second store. Um, and I said, I'd like to buy 10 mattresses per store at your labor and material cost, no profit. And then I really like you to give me 10 more mattresses to match that so that I could give, you know, 40 mattresses to, um, to these organizations that need them. Yeah. And so we agreed to do that. They agreed to do that. Uh, you know, they agreed at that time to do that. They didn't know in the end we'd have 317 stores, <laughs> <Yeah>. but, <laughs> but, you know, we did the mattresses for kids. And in the end we were giving away thousands and thousands of mattresses, yeah. obviously, but, um, it was just important to me to, to do that. And I, I was also raised though, that in your giving, you don't promote your giving, you do it because it's the right thing. Yeah. And so I was always challenged with how to do it otherwise that, so we never really promoted it or didn't do that. But by this point, I'd been on several um, different boards and realized the cause needs awareness. Yeah. So you don't need awareness as the person helping, but the cause needs awareness. Yeah. So that's when we decided that, uh, you know, we could do something outside. So we started looking at that. And at that time was when in uh, 2005, we bought mattress or sleep country and sleep country had just done a program where they started to collect items in the store. And so we said, okay, that actually sounds like something we could do. And so we decided to, to try that. And as we did that, we realized that, well, to do that, we needed to have a 501c3 established so that people could donate to the charity and then we would give it to that. And that's when we started um, Ticket of Dreams so that we could have a 501c3 that allowed people to take their deduction and to give their donation to the charity and to grow it from there. Yeah. And how did, you know, why did you hone in on foster? On foster kids? Well, I looked at foster kids, um, you know, I started with at-risk kids and in my process of, of going out and delivering things to, to kids and so forth, I got to understand the foster um, kid dilemma and challenge. Um, you know, these kids, first of all, did nothing wrong, right? They simply had parents that couldn't care for them. And then they're dumped into a system that's so severely broken that they're bounced around from house to house to house, back to their mom, back out of their mom's house, back to their mom, back out. Dad's, you know, often in jail and not around you know, all sorts of things that they get bounced around. You know, most kids on average are in three homes. Many go, we, we've talked to so many that have been in 20 plus homes. Oh. Can you imagine 20 plus homes before you're 18? I mean, it's just, it's, it's so sad and so ridiculous that they um, have to go through this and they don't have the, the basics. They don't have, you know, they're, you know, new shoes. You know, to, you, you know what it's like to be, you, you need to, to be that kid in school with those rundown shoes, you're that kid. 
you know, you don't have the confidence to do what you need to do. So new pair of shoes meant a lot to them. Um, a backpack with school supplies. You know, when I was a kid, school supplied everything. You know, they, you know, we had everything was given to us. But nowadays, you know, you're a parent, you have to, your kids have to have backpacks and paper and pencils and all that stuff you, you have to buy. Well, who's buying this for them? You know, they don't have all the supplies. If you can't, don't have the supplies, how can you learn? If you can't learn, how do you get out of the situation that you're in? Um, jackets, you know, they're uh, cold. We, you know, the just endless things. Oh, and one of my, one of my big issues is extracurricular activities. You know, that's the opportunity for these kids to be on a sports team, to learn to ride a horse, so to learn to dance, to do these things that teach us accomplishments, teaches that, that pride of success, that teaches how to be part of a team, that, that teaches the skills that you need, the Boy Scouts or Girl Scouts. Nobody is paying for these kids to do that. So they get left out once again out of that. So we wanted to find ways that we could help these kids achieve these, the regular life, have them have a normal childhood as best as they could. And yeah. so that was so, something so important to us at the time. And now still. And, and explain for people who don't know, um, who aren't familiar. So if you're a retailer out there, you know, you, you've got a bunch of stores, Explain how this collection drive works. Well, you know, from a, from a standpoint, I mean, it was, and I did not know at the time we did it, what a brilliant business decision it was. Yeah. <laughs> we were doing it because it was a, a the right thing to do for our, um, you know, for the community. Yeah. Um, but in the end, it turned out to be excellent because what we would have is we had barrels in the store. We would, we've, we've committed 10% of our ad budget. 10% of our ad budget, we would spend on our foster kid advertising. Now, mind you, as you know, Red, we never ran a buy a bed, save a kid type ad, which said, here's our sale price, do this, and, I, and here's you know this. We always kept the cause separate. So we advertised the cause as a separate standalone ad, and then our sale ads as a separate, as a separate sale. We believe that that showed the, the true authenticity of what we believed in that we actually were committed to the foster kids. So we spent 10% of our ad budget on that. And then we went and asked all of our, um, all of our um, uh, media partners to help, yeah. to help by, by leveraging up our added value, give us more spots out of our added value. So we were able to get a substantial amount of exposure for foster kids and the cause, because once again, that was what I, what I thought was important to do to the public is to show the public what the cause is. So we were able to do that. In the end, what it did, though, it reflected back that the community would come in and drop items off. I mean, we're a mattress store. You come in there, what, once every three, four years at the best, yeah. you're, you're at a mattress store. But they would come in, you know, three, four times a year to drop off stuff. So when they were in the market for a mattress, where would they go? They needed sheets, where would they go? They needed pillows, where would they go? You know, they knew where to go because they would come into our store regularly to drop off items. And you would just, you know, the, the stories from the, the store store folks of just watching the families come in, watching the kids, you know, give, put the donations in and the teachings that were going on for the community was, was awesome. And so being able to bring those in and then we would distribute them out to everybody just really, it, it ended up being a win, win, win all the way around the foster kids one, the community one, the, our customers one, and, and we won as a company. Yeah. No, I love that so much. You know, I, I, for the last few years, I've been using this term called experiential giving. 
And that's literally the exact definition of it is what you just said, which is, you know, a, a consumer can come in and do something, whether it's a donation or they buy something or whatever. And then obviously, you know, a, a foundation gets something in return, right? But the, the part that often we forget is how that employee feels. You know, yep. so the, the, the people who are actually out on the front lines doing this or making a sale or helping with the donation event, like they end up getting so much fulfillment out of it. And so truly it ends up becoming this really cool circle, you know, and obviously there's a lot of companies out there that just, you know, at the end of the year for tax purposes, they write this check and that's great. They send checks to, to nonprofits, you know, all, all day long. But, but what happens is they miss out on that big element of the company, the employees being involved in it and feeling like good about what they're doing. Right. No, that, it, you know, that's where the, the, the business success of that was that, what that allowed us to do is our, our retention, as you know, was sky high yeah. because people felt they worked for a company that cared. They saw it in action. They got to see people bring the product in. They got to go out to deliver the, the product. You know, one of my, I remember one of my most, you talk about that experience, fundamental early stage experience that told me this is the right thing to do. We were delivering a mattress and a, a basketball to a young boy. We delivered to the whole house. We had mattresses and, and um, toys. Sorry, I got someone outside my door. Um, uh, delivering uh, a mattress and, and um, a, a ball to the, the kids in this house. And we, we set the mattress up in this, this young boy's room. And he, he, we gave him the ball, first of all. And then we set the mattress up. And he went over and looked at the mattress. And he goes, it, is this for me? For me? And I, I go, yes, that's, 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 that's for you. It's a new mattress for you. He goes, just for me? Mine? I, no one else? No one else has peed on it before? No, no one, you know, it's just mine? He, he didn't care about, he jumped on it and hugged the mattress. Yeah. Because it meant so much to him that someone cared enough to give him a mattress that it was, that that meant more to him than the basketball he had been wanting so bad was yeah. that mattress meant the world to him. So, and to see that in that young boy's face, to, to hear him say that um, is, is just something that will change my life and mm -hmm. said, this is what I want to do. So, yeah. And tell me, as you've been involved in this for, for now a couple decades, you know, um, at least in my perspective, I feel like I'm seeing a pretty big cultural shift. You know, we've got millennials are now 30, 35, right? They're in careers, they're doing, they got families. And I feel like something that is extremely important to them is that they want to work with companies who are giving back. Like that's like Absolutely. a big thing, right? Like, hey, I don't want to just buy the product. I want to look it up. I'm going to research. I'm going to figure out, hey, are you giving to the planet? Are you sustainable? Are you give a philanthropy side? Like these are just things that come up all the time now. Um, whereas I don't feel that way. It was like that 10 years ago. You know, I, I know there's a lot of companies doing it, but I didn't think people didn't seem like it was like, you got to do this. But I feel like almost we're heading in a direction where companies like have to like do this, right? Like they need to get involved. It absolutely is. I, I think it's a, a mandate now from the, the, on, the incoming consumer and the consumer that's out there. It's a mandate for that. But it's not only a mandate from the consumer, it's a mandate from the employees. They only want to work for companies that are doing something that are making a difference. So on both sides, the pressure is on for people to do something that makes a difference. And why shouldn't we? We're so blessed as companies to have the success we have. And what, what, one thing that Katie and I, we talk about all the time is the more we give, the more we get. It seems like every time we do more, 
we give more, something else happens and we get more and we get, it just goes and goes. So there's such a reward internally and personally and emotionally to be part of something that makes a difference in the life of someone else. Yeah. So it's, but it's, I, I agree completely with you. I mean, the, the studies are out there over and over now that, that just show the companies that have actually something that's authentic, mind you. And that's, that's yeah. key. That's it's key. so key to be authentic. It can't be, I'm doing this because I have to. It can't be just throwing some money at something and, and saying, look, look at us, we gave money to this, or look at us, we did this. You actually have to do something. And to make it truly successful, in my opinion, it has to be ingrained in the company from the top down. Yeah. It has to be something that the company fully believes and believes, and it has to come from the executive team down um, that this is what they believe in. So that everybody knows that they are committed and this is something that, that matters. And that's where you get the change. That's where you get the, the rewards from the employees, the retention, you get everything is when you've really integrated it fully into the program and making a difference. And we're seeing more and more companies do that. We've had you know, um, several different companies that have joined us and, and are helping us do more across the country. Because one of the things that when I left uh, Mattress uh, Firm to take over Sleep or Taking a Dream was really how do I grow this? One of the reasons that I sold to Mattress Firm was quite frankly to take Ticket a Dream nationwide. Mm-hmm. I wanted to help foster kids across the country, not just on the West Coast. So now we're, we're currently there at any given time, there's 400 and what is there, 420,000 foster kids in the system at any given time. And we are on an annual basis, you know, close to 200,000 a year that we're getting items to and stuff. So we're, we're getting there across the country. And we now, we, we actually operate in every, every state of the, uh, the union and can get product to everyone across the, uh, the country. So it's, uh, it, it, but we're seeing people join us. Uh, Famous Footwear is one of our, our new big partners. You know, they've taken it on as a national, national program and their top down is bought into this. And they, they have done a fantastic job of, of making this important. And there's little things from, from the, just at the checkout counter to just have the ability for, and this is what amazed me early on when we found that, but to give the customer the opportunity to donate, it is amazing to see how giving they are. Yeah. Hundreds of thousands of dollars a month we're raising uh, for foster kids just at the counter. Yeah. I mean, it's, and, it, and all it took was a, a, a little bit of programming at the credit card machine to say, hey, would you like to donate five, 10, $15 or whatever, you know? And people say, yes, I'll, I'll just say that. But to make it really work, it has to be ingrained in, you know, the sales team needs to know what it is too. This is what we're doing. We're helping foster kids. So, yeah. um, so let me ask you this, right? It's a personal question. Um, okay, so you sell sleep train to mattress firm in 2014 right and it was a obviously huge celebration everyone on the ESOP got paid out you know you made a few dollars um so walk me through the decision to go and take over um ticket to dream and here you are you know whatever it is six years later like working hard growing this thing when you know you at the end of the day you know you you fulfilled the this American dream of like, you had this business, you built it up, you sold it, you have enough money to sail off into the sunset. Like, why? Like, why keep grinding? Why keep doing it? It's, you know, quite frankly, it's just, I've never been happier. Never been happier. You know, knowing that we're able to take our knowledge, take our finances, take our abilities to make a difference in kids' lives that, you know, 
didn't do anything wrong, but simply needed help. And so to make that difference to every day we're rewarded with the stories about what we've given to somebody and a young kid and the, the, what, what, what it means to them, you know, from the, um, they take COVID. I mean, COVID was just, it's hard for everybody. It's hard for you. You've got kids in school. You know how hard that is. Think about a foster child that doesn't have a laptop. How do they make it through COVID? We've given away hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of laptops to foster kids because they need, they need that in order to do school. Yeah. Otherwise, they can't do school, you know, giving them simple things. Or, you know, the, in, during COVID, the craziness of, you know, uh, you know someone loses their job um, in, in the layoffs and everything like that, and they're a foster parent. Now they can't provide for the, the kids, so we need to be able to help them um, get through that period. Or the, the, the kid that's emancipating at 18 and doesn't, can't get a job because of that, all the different issues there, and needs, to, needs some help in getting a job or getting into college. Um, you know, we need to be there. So we've, we do all sorts of things now to do that, to watch and to see, hear the stories of people saying, okay, you saved me because this would have been a bad scenario otherwise. You know, I've, I've told you this, this stat before, but, you know, 63% of foster youth are either dead, homeless, or in jail within 18 months of leaving the system. Dead, homeless, or in jail. We need to stop that. That's wrong. And that's on us. That's not on them. We didn't give them the tools. We didn't give them the support. We didn't give them what they need to, to achieve. And we need to do that now in order to save that. More than 70% of the people in the California prison system went through the foster care system. That's how bad that system is. Mm. So by doing this, by giving them the opportunity to go to school, 80% of foster kids want to go to, go to college, only 3% graduate from college. So, you know, make, being able to see that, talking to the kids graduating um, that we've been able to help get, get into college and graduate there, I mean, that, that's the reward. I mean, that's, money is money. You can buy things. Yeah, I can travel. I can do things. I, I get to, I have a fun life. You know that. I, you know, I get to enjoy what we have. But, but nothing is like the feeling of knowing you're making a difference. And so that's, that's what I enjoy being part of. Yeah, absolutely. So tell me. I don't know this, you know, but where did the idea come about to throw, you know, what I think is the greatest golf tournament fundraiser <laughs> in the world in the Ticket to Dream like golf tournament? How did that come about? And how did, and, and, and question two is, and how did the themes come about? Because you got to just tell the, tell the listeners like how every year there's a theme. I love it. <laughs> uh, well, it actually was uh, Brian Baxter, Mike Lavelle, and Mike Wilson, who, you know, we were saying, okay, how do we, how do we take this to the next level? What do we do? And they said, well, what about a golf tournament? And so I said, yeah, that sounds great. You guys, and they, they teamed up and put the, the first one together. And, you know, I said that I thought it should be a theme, and I think uh, Mari as well, um, and so forth. So our theme, and as you alluded to, our tournament is like no other. It's not about golf. It's yeah. about the kids and it's about having fun. And so part about the kids is having fun and dressing up, right? Yeah. So we, we have a costume contest and people wear things. We've done everything from, um, oh, what the heck? Uh, you know, we did Caddyshack one year. That was a little interesting. <laughs> we've done, uh, you know, just different, all sorts of, I'm trying to draw, draw a blank on all the different things. Well, you did. Tell, so tell, tell, tell everyone about when you almost died when you were, uh, when you oh, the pirate theme. Oh my word. I had, oh, well, first of all, we choose to have, we, 
and we're, we're actually moving the date right now because, well, partly because of COVID, but it's always been the last part of September. And in Sacramento, for some reason, the, when, the Wednesday that we have the tournament is the hottest day of the year. <laughs> it just seems to just skyrocket on the day of our tournament. And we did a, a pirate theme. So I have long hair wig on. I've got the full leather jacket, you know, the, um, um, the Pirates of the Caribbean look, oh, yeah, you, you know, beard and everything, as I always had. And I'm out there and it's at 105 degrees over there. And it's just like, I, I came back in and they go, you don't look good. I go, I don't really feel good. <laughs> I was about ready to pass out from heat exhaustion, but oh, it was so hot. Yeah. So incredibly hot. Um, then we did games, remember that? I just saw a picture yeah. the other day and I, I can't believe I wore this, but I mean, it was the Candyman costume yeah. that I wore. Yeah, so we, I was the Candyman and it just, this costume was just candy all <laughs> over me and everything, but to me, it's all about having fun and being willing to, you know, let go of your ego and just yeah. have fun. And um, we had a great time. And obviously, as you know, we've raised over a million dollars every year um, prior to COVID and, uh, and, you know, been able to do really well with it. So, no, it's, it's, yeah, one of my absolute favorite events. I always think back one of one year we did a, a member, we did like an Oscars theme. So you could go as any like movie character that was like nominated or won an Oscar. And I went as the Heath Ledger Joker and I like, did the I remember. Whole, like crazy makeup and the whole nine yards. And we, one of our district training managers up in the Bay was terrified of clowns. I didn't know, like terrified. <laughs> and I remember come, I come walking up at the, you know, at the banquet before the dinner and I, I sit down and he just gets up and runs. And I thought it was a joke. It turns out like he's just deathly afraid of clowns. So all night I kept trying to sneak up on him and, you know, with my drink. Oh, uh, you're so, mean you're mean yeah. <laughs> that was funny though he was really oh yeah that. but no. your costume was fantastic no it was legit it was legit um, i actually showed my kids recently i was like yeah check this out i had it it was when instagram first started i think years ago and i had like it's one of my uh, first pictures i was like oh this is it so um uh, yeah those dinners but, though i'll tell you though i mean the when the different like kids would come up and speak yeah i don't, yeah. I don't think there's a dry eye you know i no. could even just thinking about it would still just like take me down yeah well i mean if you hear their stories and you're and you're a parent at all you know you you sit there and go you just imagine you're a child and uh, having to go through and you just can't imagine what they go through and so knowing that you can make a difference in their life that you can give them that leg up you can give them that confidence you know simply through a pair of shoes or backpacks or or an extracurricular activity that your kids get to play in every day and they they don't i mean it makes a difference in them and changes their life yeah. So tell us, I know we're, we're wrap, getting near the end here. Um, so if there's someone out there listening, right. So they're, they're, you know, they're working at a company, maybe they're, they're leading a company um, and they're not currently like utilizing any type of a giving back strategy, you know, like what would you say to them? How would you encourage them that this is something that, that they just got to do? Well, one I would, uh, you know, from, let, let's say there's someone that's running a company just from that standpoint, the one thing that, and, we, as you know, we didn't do it because of it, but I found out it is a true business um, secret. That you do it and you do it right, it will grow your business beyond belief. And so to understand that and to trust that, I can just tell you it works. You need to do it and it's important to do it. It's important for your company. If you care about growing your company, this is one of the easiest ways you can do it and make a difference. You will retain your employees for longer. They will do better work. You will change the community. You will grow your customer base. 
and you will, will grow your company and the pride of your company by, by simply making a difference in someone else's life and not being just about the company. The one thing I would say that we did that I think really worked is we chose one, one category. Yeah. I mean, we chose foster kids. So that was our one charity. What that allowed us to do is that's who the company was. Now, it did not mean that's all the company was, but it allowed us so that when somebody would come to me and want us to donate or to do something for other causes, we could say, great cause, good luck with that. That's awesome. But unless your, your area works with foster kids, we only do foster kids. And the person asking for the money would, would not look, you, look down on you because they knew the work you were doing. Yeah. So they understood and appreciated what you were doing. So it allowed us to have more time to focus on, on our business and not as much on all these different causes, but one cause. But the way we kind of crossed over was we realized that not all of our employees was this their, their motivation. So as you know, we let, we let each of the teams, each of the um, departments had, had money to spend yep. local giving, local activities. So, I mean, I know you went out to a food bank um, before you've been out to, to you built benches out that uh, that one um, place and you know we've we've done painting everywhere um, so we've done stuff all across other different areas that we allowed our employees to do um, and and we supported we gave everybody two days off to go go do work in the community of of their choice mm-hmm. um, so that we could we could help other causes but the company's focus was just one and by the company having one it really allows the company to become branded as that's what they do. And I think that's, that's a, a, a secret that worked really well um, and is just something to do. So it doesn't matter if it's foster kids or some other cause. One of the things with foster kids when we started is, you know, no one really knew about foster kids. Yeah. I mean, I would have people all the time say, well, tell me more about this foster kids. I don't get it. Now yeah. everybody understands foster kids much more because we get brought the cause up. So we had a cause that, you know, was there. It's a cause that, you know, in our case, it's a cause that's not political, but yet touches all the political areas. It touches um, incarceration. It touches on um, education. It touches on homelessness. It touches on um, uh, tra- uh, human trafficking. You, you, you solve and work on all these issues without being politically in that room. You're just talking about the child and helping the child. So, but it's a, for, from a business standpoint, it's a must do. From a personal standpoint, you'll be so much prouder of the company you own or you manage or you run when you're doing something for others. And then just from your employees and your customers base, now it's a mandatory thing from them. So it's, it, I'd highly recommend everybody do it. It's a, it's a win, win, win across the board. Everybody wins. There's no loss in it. Yeah, no, I love that. I'm going to, that last little part going to be the PSA. <laughs> put it out there. Hey, all, all you business owners listen to this, you know? So, <laughs> Um, no, I thank you so much, Dale, for coming on. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to, to finish by just thanking you, you know, and explaining something that I think is, is the last part of that, right. Which is, you know, we, we don't oftentimes, you know, when we talk about athletes, you know, we talk about legacy, you know, when you talk about maybe, you know, big figures in the world, you know, college politicians or whatever, you know, these, these terms go around, but when you think about, you know, people in business. You know, we all do leave a legacy. You know, we, we leave a trail behind us um, of people we've worked with, people we impacted along the way, you know, and I think that, you know, one last part I would add to that as far as this win-win-win scenario is that, you know, when you give back and you do it for the right reasons, you know, you inspire people along the way to do the same and you show them, hey, you know, 
business doesn't have to be about cutthroat, step on everyone to get to success. You know, that's, that's not the mentality that you need to have because what you want to do is inspire the people that you're around to show them that you can do both. You can be successful in business and you can also give back. It's not an or, it's an and. And when you do, it has a ripple. And so just for me personally, you know, like I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing right now if it wasn't for you starting to work with foster care, right? Because my, as I grew at, at Big Train and became each level I would progress as far as my, my title or whatever and work with more people, you know, the DNA was that we give back. That was just, it wasn't like a thing that was over here. It was just part of what we do. And so what I learned was that that's just the fabric. And then it was funny because I went to go, you know, we went to math firm and then I went to living spaces and then now, now at avocado. And it's like, it's been great to um, see that, Hey, if there was a need like at living spaces, you know, we had these great, amazing people who were doing so much work. We're over there was giving away millions of dollars, but no one knew because they didn't have a program, you know, like it was just, and he did it for the right reason. That's the cool thing about him. He was just literally writing checks, you know, Oh, there's a disaster. Here's a million dollars, but no one would know. And I was like, Grover, people want to buy from companies who are giving back, you know, like, how do we do this? And that's when, you know, we were able to package revive with this whole giving program around foster kids or veterans or whatever. And what we learned was a, at least this is what I learned. People used to be like, Oh, that was such a cool thing you did. And I was like, I didn't do it. You know, I had an idea. I connected some dots, but it was everyone out there who took, who took it and ran with it. The reason it was successful is because all the employees got so excited about it and they made it a huge thing. And, and I would, I would sit back and think after we did our first couple of events, you know, and I was like, wow, this is cool. Like everyone's getting really excited about it. But ultimately that all just came from what I learned at Supertrain. And so what I'm trying to say in, in a roundabout way is a, thank you. Um, but also B for people listening out there, like those are the long-term ripples of the effect that you have when you, when you give back for the right reasons, you know? Um, and I think that as you look back, like you said, in your career, you know, if it wasn't for that, you know, you wouldn't be sitting doing what you're doing now. You know, here you are, you, you, you at 21, when you got that sports car, you know, and, and from California mattress and you thought about it, like who would have thought, yeah, I would sell this business all these years later and be really successful, but then end up doing foster kids full time. You know, I mean, it's just, it's crazy how it all wrapped around. Yeah, well, thank you, Brad, and I, I really appreciate what one of my great joys is watching all the people I was blessed to work with and seeing seeing that ripple go out and seeing everybody what they're doing. I mean, it, you you you're right; it just seems to have stuck with everybody because I see it across the board, and just knowing that that difference is happening out there is is so incredible. Awesome. Well, thanks, Dale. I appreciate it all the time and best luck to you. So last thing is to tell people if someone wants to get involved with Ticket Your Dream specifically, what's the best way they can kind of reach out to you? Yeah, go, go to our website, ticketthedream.org, ticketthedream.org. Um, you can contact me, you can contact Gina. Uh, Gina Davis is our executive director. All the contact information is on there. The don you can donate on there. Uh, you can learn more from there, but just let us know. We'd be glad to help anybody. We're, you know, we have all sorts of partners and we partner in many different ways. One of the, one of the exciting things we have is that uh, I've, I've got a top-notch branding officer who runs our organization because she did all the branding for Ticket for Matches Firm and for Sleep Train and now she does Ticket of Dream. So we can yeah. do anything. No, we can do it. You can do anything. I do believe it and you're proving it. So thanks, Dale. I hope to talk soon. Thank you, sir. Take care. Great seeing you.
Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Just Stories with BT. For more podcasts and audio stories, head over to fam.news. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts.